1: In my new book, With Mark Tim, mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com.
0: Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be interviewing Bernard and Larry from Measured Risk Portfolios who have a really interesting strategy to both measure manage and define and of course reduce risk without trading away returns bernard larry thanks so much for joining us thank you very much sir Pleasure. so we'll get into the strategy in just a minute but i want to back up just a second because you've had an interesting history in the business before measured risk so can you talk a little bit about how you got started in our business in the financial services and money management business in the first place you can answer this one
2: so I started out in the financial services industry back in the, you know, in the 1900s still, and the late 1900s, I'm pleased, to, I'm pleased to admit to, and I started out with an insurance company, and very quickly it got taken over by another insurance company, and that was kind of where I ended up meeting Larry, and the experience we had during the 2000 through 2002 2003 time period was one of learning that just because something has happened in the past doesn't mean that the same set of facts will happen again in the future, and I met up with Larry, I think it was 2006, 2007, Larry, when, when did we meet? About then, right?
1: A little earlier. I've got my Late time. 2005.
2: And it was kind of a funny meeting because it was at a, at a company-sponsored event and they, we were at the dessert thing and Larry made a comment to me about how, you know, some nefarious comment he made. And I was like, I need to move offices. And we decided to do an office share arrangement and we became partners. And sometime thereafter, we actually formalized the thing and became partners. But In terms of the experiences we both had during the 2000, 2001, 2002 time period, we had a real meeting of the minds on that. The old way of doing things just simply doesn't work in a crisis. And it didn't resonate with people that there might be another way of doing things. And it got Larry and I on this whole road to exploring other alternatives to just the traditional way of investing money. That led us to build our portfolio before we'll discussing a little while later. But-
1: and I think uh, the major key that's missing is that the 2000, 2003, that tech bubble bursting, spawned a number of interesting products because part, part of what we're trying to get our arms around is that uh, backward looking data, the non correlated assets, they, they move up and down independently of each other which is what you want for something to be able to sell from when it's high and buy low from other other uh, constituents in your portfolio asset allocation model. And that does tend to work in normalized markets. There are things that are moving independently of each other. But when a crisis develops, we've observed that all those non-correlated assets become correlated and all start to go down at the same time. And that kind of blows the whole opportunity to rebalance or to uh, take advantage of maybe some dampened uh, volatility. So what ended up happening is then we end up with the manufacturer of uh, managed futures and commodity indexes and inverse products that can go up when the market's going down uh, and then levered inverse products. These are all attempts to try and find something that you can add into the asset allocation model to solve this problem and to make it mechanical. That was the quest. And we unfortunately tried a few of those. And um, so through hard, painful experience, we've learned that products that have historical track records that have performed a certain way in a certain set of uh, circumstances can suddenly turn around and change their stripes and behave differently in the next crisis. And so we really got to a point where we, we have to do something really different in order to expect a different outcome. Otherwise, we're just going to be stuck having a similar disappointing outcome eventually. It's just, it just seemed like it was inevitable. So that was the genesis of our of our looking for something else.
0: So there are obviously a number of RIAs, thousands nationwide, who went through the same similar experience in terms of the frustration with whether it was a tech bubble bursting or the subprime bubble bursting in 07 or 08, or what happened with COVID. And I'd say 99% of us probably said, oh, I wish there were a better way. And it ends there. But you actually said, let's actually figure out the better way. Design something and implement it to achieve what would be a better way. So talk about that transition from darn, this is frustrating, to we can actually engineer a process that delivers a better outcome.
2: So that's a great question, Seth. For for me, and I don't there's a there's a product in the insurance company in the insurance industry called the, the Equity Indexed Annuity. And we just love the story. The story that it says is in a good. Get S and P like returns on the upside and don't get any downside. And Larry and I would look at that comment and marvel at that and go, "Well, how do they do that? (laughs) Like, like, how do you capture upside and not participate in the downside? Sounds incredible." And needless to say, you know there were you know good amounts of money flowing in that direction, but it wouldn't necessarily work on the upside as well as you might expect because they all had caps on them. And you know, if we're going to be equity investors, we we want to try to get more, obviously on the upside, and. So Larry and I, I don't remember exactly how Larry did this, but he got us invited to a conference in London about, you know, in the insurance industry, like guts, for lack of a better term. And we went to meet the guys who actually built the, the equity indexed product and they gave us the recipe, which is not very complicated. Just It was, it was appallingly simple. When we saw it, we're like, it was like a eureka moment, of course, duh, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, so, I, I mean, a...
1: for those of you, I mean, I think RAAs are listening. They'll have some appreciation for what an index annuity is and also what it isn't. I think a lot of the retail advertisements lead you to believe it's an equity-based kind of return because you're getting your interest credits from the movement of some market. It used to be just the S&P 500, but now you can tie it to almost anything in these products. But the reality is, is that they do have to deliver on this guarantee of typically no losses, no downside. And so the first trick for us was how do you do that? And it was such a simple recipe as Bernard alluded to. They use basically zero coupon bonds or an equivalent where you maybe invest $95,000 out of a hundred and within a year or so, that $95,000 will grow and mature back to hundred thousand dollars. And that leaves you free to take a really big swing with the 5,000. So that $5,000 is used to buy options or some derivative on whatever the index is that you're trying to benchmark your performance to. And that way, if the index is negative or goes down, you'd lose your $5,000 option allocation, but you get back your principal with the $100,000 maturing bond. And so all we did is take that very basic idea. We said, listen, we're not looking for no downside. We're prepared to invest in the S&P 500. we're, We're willing to take some risk. And so we just want to know what that risk is before we take it. And instead of having a mix of uh, investments now that has a historical performance of maybe going down X, Y, Z percent, we can now say, well, let's just take a 5% risk or a 10% risk. And all we do then to achieve that is just invest more than what we're going to earn on the interest. So instead of investing $95,000 in a 5% world, having it grow back to $100,000, maybe we agree to invest only 90000 which will only grow back to 95000 and that way we're going to have $10,000 to invest in options, which is twice what the insurance company can. Or we want to say we have a 15% downside risk tolerance, and we can then put only $80,000 into the, or 81000 or some such number into the bonds, grows back to $85,000, and that puts, gets much more buying power into the options. So that was the difference. And it's, to my knowledge, uh, not being done by any other firm out there. We're the only ones who offer it.
0: Which kind of boggles my mind, because when you think about it, as Bernard alluded to, How an equity index annuity, like the math behind how it works and the investments you need to pull it off are, it's a relatively simple recipe. Theoretically, anybody could do something like that, but Mm. you're the only ones also to my knowledge in our research in the industry who have engineered a way to pull that off and customize it for every single client based on how much risk they're willing to take. Why do you think no one else did it?
1: I'll take that one. I think it's actually distribution. And this is kind of a not the greatest response for our industry, but if we can't get the product into the most, most clients' accounts as we can, then the industry is not interested in it. So we have uh, been unable to get on a platform like any of the uh, third-party asset managers of any merit. We can't really design the structure. At least we haven't been able to find someone to help us design the structure to be in a 40-act mutual fund or in an ETF model. And as a result, the separately managed account is the only way to get this into the uh, client's allocation. And that just means that it's much more difficult. The client has to open up a account and the account has to be funded and then the account has to be papered and it has to be papered for options and margin. These are all much more complicated uh, structures than it is just to simply uh, right-click a drop-down box and allocate 15% to another portfolio manager's model.
0: Absolutely. And you've been doing this now for quite some time. Has it, how has it performed the way mathematically you expected it to?
1: Yeah, it's one of the beauties of this structure is that when you have a, let's say a a 90% allocation to treasuries, short duration treasuries, by the way, so we're not going out five or 10 or 15 years and subject to, to interest rate risk, but short duration, typically 18 months or shorter, and then you pair that up with an option. When things go well, that option can just explode in value. It's very similar to like a home. And if you have a million dollar home that you purchased and you put $100,000 down and finance the 900,000, and then that home over the course of a year goes up by 10%, so your home is now worth 1.1 1. 1 million, well, your equity, the 100,000, went up 100%. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that inherent leverage in that down payment kind of example. And that's exactly what we're doing here. We're just doing it with derivatives or options on the S&P 500. We're taking a small allocation that can control a large amount of capital. And we're using that to basically get our return. If the markets decline, 100 percent of that option value is at risk. And we have and did just in 2022 lose 100 percent of that option allocation for all of 2022. But in the, in the prior years, performance, by the way, is available on our website, measuredriskportfolios.com, and that's under the strategy section. But the performance in 21 and 20, we actually outperformed the indexes that were benchmarked to. So we're able to provide a net higher investment than we were in the S&P 500. So, and that's back when there was no yield on the bonds. There was essentially something less than 1% available in fixed income. And so we're looking forward to this environment where we actually can get yield on bonds. Uh, in theory, leads to the potential for a higher potential return. Now, again, markets have to cooperate. If they don't go up, we don't make money. And in fact, this strategy can be less favorable in a small decline or even in a small positive year. So a 1% or 2% year can actually deliver negative results in our strategy. A 2 or 3% decline could be a 5 or 6% decline in our strategy. So we're looking for market movement that's positive in some meaningful way in order to overcome the expense of owning an option because they don't you know, come for free.
2: I mean, just on that point, just on that point, Seth, you know, oftentimes the market, you know, even though you end up with an average of 10, you very seldom get 10% on the S&P. More, more often than not, you're getting returns that are well in excess of 10s or well below 10. Uh, so it's very seldom that you add that 10. And in fact, when we look back at some of the data sets, it's really quite, it's quite revealing how often the market goes up more than, you know, 15, 20% is not an uncommon event. It's those big numbers, you know, the 50s and 60s. Now, those are very uncommon. On the downside, however, it's not, it's, t- it's turning out to be more common for it to drop 20 plus percent in, in a relatively short time period. You know, we had the 2008 crisis. We had you know, COVID. Uh, you know, now we're having this banking thing. I mean, this year hasn't been a just, you know, the last year hasn't been a, the brightest year on the market. But so those big down years do materialize. And then when you start to look at the math of all of it, then you really start to appreciate exactly what we do. Because... If your portfolio is down 10%, you need to go up 11 well, you know, again, you look at the SP distribution of returns, pretty high probability. Well, the problem is the market drops you know, 25% or your account drops 25%, well, now you need a 33% return. Or the market drops 50%, well, now you need 100% return. Now, these are big numbers. And when you start to yeah. look at the frequency of those numbers, it just becomes very infrequent. And so what we're able to do by protecting the downside, we're buying back time. So time for that portfolio to recover instead of needing three or four years you know for for example in 2008 you know we had a recovery within months of the market being down a lot um, because we, we were able to to limit that drawdown so time is your is what you're buying and it's the one thing that you really can't buy generally speaking but, you know the time to cover we're shortening that up to a very narrow time frame because we limit our drawdown to a manageable number it, you know 10 percent at the clients behest or whatever the number is, but smaller numbers, which are much more easy to recover from.
0: It makes a lot of sense. And the genesis of the idea coming from, you know, an equity indexed annuity. Now, equity indexed annuities typically get some flack in our industry for either the fees that you're paying, or if you're not, if you're in one of them, that isn't fee, isn't that structured, the, the fee comes out of the cap, the participation rate, of, hey, I'm giving up X percent on the upside in exchange for the percentage of the downside. Yours works better than that and doesn't require any cap. Talk a little bit Correct. about that.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's, that, that's a great observation. So when you look at the way that the, the equity index product is constructed, they use a thing called a spread. So you know, they'll buy a, an S&P price point, but they'll sell it over there. So all you're going to get is this portion of the movement. And we've said, no, we don't like the idea of capping the upside. When the market runs, you really want to get that upside. So we don't do a spread. We buy a long call and we do it generally with a one-year expiration at inception and we let it run and we see what happens. And if if things go well and the market is running up, we will then, depending again on the market and what's happening, we will we will sell that call and possibly move up its price to take some of the money off the table and add it to the safe money or we'll roll it further out, meaning giving us more time for that option to, you know, for the market to get to that price point. But we are always actively managing the options exposure and to be able to harvest the gains.
1: That really is is a critical component because unlike a structured note, which is available outside of an equity index annuity or the the index products themselves, they typically will have either a point-to-point or potentially a multi-point, you know, a three-year deal with some points along the way. But with measured risk, we're actually monitoring that on a daily basis. And we're paying attention to what the movement of the options are relative to the movement of the underlying index. And we adjust along the way on the fly. So if there is, as Bernard is saying, potential gain growing, we don't want to be in a situation where we watch the SP uh, go from say four thousand to 4,800 and then back down to 4,100, leaving just a very small gain on the table when we could have been locking in those gains along the way by selling the profitable options and, and repositioning them. So that's what we're doing as well. One other quick uh, comment though, I mean the, the, the traditional portfolio construction, whether it's 70, 30 or 60, 40 is you know generally 60, 70 percent equities. And the S&P 500 is kind of that large 800-pound um, grill that everyone's trying to trying to benchmark to. But still think about this. If you have 60% of your portfolio in, say, the S&P 500, which can go down 50%, let's say, in, in 12 months or very close to 12 months, you're still taking a 30% drawdown risk, a 30% decline risk in your softened portfolio, in your 60-40 portfolio, still has tremendous downside potential, well in excess of what most clients are prepared to take. And that's what we wanted to try and solve. Because even even when you have a 60-40 portfolio that is, in theory, buffered, um, gosh, when the markets are really tanking, and that's when bad decisions start to get made, and by that I mean selling out of those equities, typically near a low, when that 60-40 portfolio is down 22% or 24%. And the clients on the phone with the advisor asking, "Well, geez, you know, Tom, how much more? How much more do you think we can go down?" And the, the advisor and our, we didn't have an answer back then. And so that's what we were trying to solve: is how are we going to get ourselves out of the situation where we can't give our clients the confidence that we that we want to give them and being able to stay invested.
0: That segues perfectly into my next question, which was, "How has this been received by the end user retail client? How have they understood it when you explained it to them, and then what?" different feedback than normal advisors are used to getting because of the different way to manage the risk. Talk a little bit about the, you know, the feedback from the clients.
2: Well, let me take one of those, you know, I always think back to the story that happened, I think it was October of 2011 and Larry's heard this a hundred times, but what's, you know, one was okay. <laughs> um, so as I recall, we had a fiscal cliff, a debt ceiling, sound familiar? Yeah, you know, history is already repeating so, and we had an election coming up and I got a call from this client and they had, you know, something you know just to of a million dollars with us at the time and uh interestingly the wife called which was not common i you know i didn't generally get to have a call from her but she called and she goes you know my husband and i are very nervous the markets are doing this there's a fiscal cliff for debt ceiling i mean these terms are just like wow fiscal cliff you know debt ceiling it's like oh my gosh it's enough that alone is enough to you know conjure up horrible images and she says you know we're thinking we want to take all of our money out and we're very nervous, we can't sleep. So I said, well, okay, are you in front of a computer? And she goes, yeah. And so by the way, another benefit of a separately managed account is what I'm about to describe. So I had to log onto the computer and we could see her positions, or well, not her, but their positions. And I went through them in de- you know, individually with each position. And at that point, the options had whittled down to being worth about you know, 2% of the accounts, so not very much. And I said, well, you know, those options, if things go poorly, those options will go to zero. Then when I went to the fixed income positions and I said, look, even if I take off 2% from the fixed income positions, which I thought was an unreasonably harsh penalty under the circumstance of, you know, it was mostly treasuries. And let's assume that happens. Then your account at most could lose another. And I gave her a definitive number. I was actually able to say, it's going to lose this much more money. And uh, so, and and again, she looks at the positions and what I'm getting back is silence. I'm like, huh. I wonder what's going on because I, I don't like. I've said everything I can say. I don't know what more to say other than, are you still there? <laughs> and to which the reply comes, oh my gosh, I can't believe what good care you're taking of us. I'm so sorry for bothering you. I'll never bother you again. And it occurred to me, it occurred to me that in her mind, the whole account was at risk of imploding because when somebody's invested in the market, you know, they don't look at the component pieces, they look at the portfolio. The portfolio's lost money. Because again, the way our is designed, if the market's down 10, we're, we're, we're going to feel that 10. But then we flatline. And the interesting part of that story was the part two was, as we all remember, that you know, the, the, the fiscal cliff got taken care of, the debt ceiling got taken care of, the election got taken, you know, was resolved and the markets rallied back pretty hard. And she actually, ended, I believe we ended up for that year. So those options that had the minimis value in the account on the day that she, that she and I looked at it exploded in value once the market started rallying again. So it wasn't that, wasn't that Larry and I had to then add more risk at that point in time. The risk was already allocated. Now we just just not let the market do its thing. And so I like to use analogy, we kind of like pilots flying, you know, with increased turbulence, you know, all right, steady. But, you know, we, we're we not gonna get as much of the turbulence as somebody who's, you know, yeah. doesn't have the- The other, the, the the other thing that up.
1: happens, Zeth is that uh, now we've, we've been doing this now for, as you say, many, many years and, we have realized that we're down to, there aren't any phone calls during a financial crisis. So when there's you know markets selling off because of COVID or if markets are selling off because of the banking crisis or if markets are selling off or fill in the next crisis, we don't have concerned clients. because they, We have disappointed clients and you know the advisors that go with them, they're disappointed because the markets are going down and they're gonna be hitting some of those stop losses that we've got in the portfolios, but they're not anxious. They're not, uh, they're not, it's a whole different position to be in. And on top of that, as we've gotten better at coaching our advisors, the opportunity now arises that if the market is declining or it's in free fall and it's you know going through one of its worst, worst phases, you find yourself sitting on a pile of treasuries, looking out at a sea of investments that are on sale. And it's the perfect place to be in. If you have the courage to do the investments, and our firm won't do it for you. Because our mantra is to limit those losses. But if you come knocking on the door and say, "Hey, I want to peel off another five percent, allocate it to some more options, we we will cheer your name in the hallways because I don't know about the timing. You know I can't be assured that the timing is right, but I do know that we've put positioned you in a way that you can actually take advantage of, potentially take advantage of a declining market instead of just being a participant in it.
0: And that's a beautiful thing. And you mentioned your advisors talk a little bit um before we wrap up about, how you are now helping other, other RIA's and advisors add this to their toolbox and help their clients?
1: Right. Well, I would say our ideal relationship partner is a um, mid-sized to large size RIA that can take a look at our our performance and our structure. Uh, we do have we do adhere to GIPS, so we're GIPS certified back to 2016. And we're able to show and demonstrate that we have, you know, now we've had up performance, down performance, and there's plenty to look at there. We're looking for firms that are understanding that they they can't get this type of uh, performance structure in any other way than an SMA, and that they'd be willing to look at doing business through an SMA relationship. And we can operate as a sub-advisor, we can operate as a solicitor um, for where we're the primary and, and we take solicitor relationships. But we're actively looking for partnerships to be able to get this um, strategy out into the right hands. And one of the key areas, and if you're a younger person with 40 years to go before you retire, you can probably handle the ups and downs. But with what we find is that the pre-retirees who have maybe gotten to be 55 or 57, who could still use that equity potential return, but are concerned about the risk they face if they try, you know, we're a really good solution for that because you can actually position the portfolio to be pretty aggressively structured from a potential rate of return, but still limit the amount of drawdown to that defined amount that you're agreeing to bite off.
0: And that's a beautiful thing. Well, we know your time is incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. Um, For our folks watching and listening, whether they are an end user retail investor or an advisor, registered investment advisory firm, Um, Make sure to check out measuredriskportfolios.com. This has been Seth Green with Larry and Bernard from Measured Risk. Larry, Bernard, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
2: Thank you very much, Seth.
0: Seth. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We will talk to you or see you next time.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.